The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Your new or existing home is one of your most important assets, yet too many people rely on sites, shows, and tips from people who are not in the real estate business when making important decisions. It's time to get real and trust a professional. This is Real Real Estate Today with host Deb Tomorrow. In this series, you'll learn about making smart decisions when it comes to buying a home, selling a home, or even staying in the home you're in. Now, here is your host, Realtor Deb Tomorrow. Happy World Series Day, everyone. If you're listening live, tonight is the first night of the World Series. As I understand it, Karen, do you follow baseball? Um, I Sort of, yes. Do you? Sort of. Because it's on in your house? Um, mostly, yes. Okay. Does your son but, play baseball? No, no, but when I was first dating my husband, and mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about baseball, and he was a huge Cubs fan, yeah. so I was watching, I learned all the names gotcha. to impress I, him. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. forgot. Tony was uh, Uris' son's baseball coach at one point in time, oh, many the, moons ago. Oh, gosh. 20 years ago, probably. <laughs> probably. Yeah, right? Okay, well, we're all excited here in Bloomington for World Series because we got the great news today that uh, our favorite hometown son i don't know if he's even originally from here he's but we not. claim I think him he's from ohio okay well we claim him anyways kyle schwerber we love you kyle schwerber and he's uh on he's been injured all season and uh, he's able to hit so we're hoping he's going to be a designated hitter so not typically a cubs fan i was a cleveland fan way back in the yeah well listen to me well i know no one can see me she, I know. My, big, looks my big googly eyes but late what? 90s i was a big cleveland fan but uh we're, we're uh rooting for the cubs this so year. are you watching it tonight are you gonna Probably. watch it it'll, yeah, okay. it'll be on Mm-hmm. Yep. As we monitor the crazy dogs, Albert had a little surgery last week and the nine-year-old rescue dog and um, the painkillers seem to have whacked him out. He's been <laughs> tripping hard, hard. It's Are you been, videotaping yeah. that? Well, there's some videotape, but I actually took him to the vet yesterday. I'm like, this is not the same dog. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what you did to my dog. This is not the same dog. So we're trying to get him to come around and Anyways, it's good times. Um, so we recently mentioned, I think we talked about last week or the week before, about how our friends Chip and Joanna Gaines came out with a new book. Yeah, it was last right. week. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, called The Magnolia Something. The Magnolia Story. Okay, thank you. Oh, my gosh. I, I know. I need to get that. I'm going to read it. I swear. We should like, book club it or something. I'm going to go to Who? the public library uh-huh. and I'll get on a wait list to get it. Oh, How's that? Heavens. We'll do it old Mercy. School. Okay. Well, if anybody wants to get in a book club with us... Um, but, you know, I guess with all that success comes a little bit of dirt. So I saw some dirt online about them today. And I feel bad because they're, like, such nice people. So I feel like I shouldn't gossip. But then it's kind of funny dirt. There was, like, there's a, one of these gossip websites. And it was big drama. And it was because Chip was arrested for having a fake ID when he was 18. <gasps> bum, bum, Gas. Bum. I know. <laughs> That's like, it? That was it? Well, yeah. well oh, no, okay. and there's another one, too. But I think it was in the book. Like, they're confessing to this stuff now. Okay. There was also another arrest that had to do with, could you guess? Can you guess what it's for? 
manufacturing meth, attempted murder. No. No. $2,500 in unpaid fines to animal control. <laughs> well, they do have a lot. Well, of this ants. was a long time ago. It was before it was when she was pregnant with her first son. I read the whole story. And they had a neighbor across the street who, you know, you kind of get into battle, battles with neighbors sometimes. You have crazy neighbors or whatever. And they would let their dogs just kind of like run around the yard. And the neighbor would call and say the dogs were, you know, not on leashes per the leash law. And animal control would come and pick them up. And then they would go down and they would get fined and get tickets. Some of the tickets were in Joanna's name and some of the tickets were in Chip's name. And she was pregnant. So they like went down to try and they were told they could put all the tickets into Chip's name so that she wouldn't be in trouble since she's pregnant and stuff. So they went down to the police station to do that. And then they said it was like a bait and switch and arrested Chip on the spot or something. Oh, my God. (laughs) Doesn't even make sense to me. But anyways, that was the big drama. So as I was reading these stories, then I saw another blurb for, see how my mind, this is, Mm -hmm. go from point A to point B to point Z. Um, So they're actually doing a casting call for the next season of Fixer Upper. So, so I thought this was important, hard-hitting news. It is. That means I need to be headed to Waco to find. You a are correct. Spot. So, and I think Rachel will probably post a link for all our Waco fans. Okay. Out there, but you have to be within forty miles of Waco, Texas, and you have to have found a home in the Waco area that's in your dream neighborhood. But the house is a nightmare. Um, and then to be eligible, you have to be in the process of buying or plan on buying a home. Within 40 miles of Waco, you have to be energetic, outgoing, and fun. Uh, you have, need to have a minimum $30,000 budget for renovation, and you have to be at least 21 years of age or older. So they only have about one one page on their sort of general casting call, and then you click on a link, and it gives you all these like questions you need to answer. I'm kind of, uh, I'm surprised that it says that you have to be energetic and, you know, Whatever, because I've watched that show, and sometimes they're not. No. Well, here's, then it gets even more interesting. Because then I was like, well, I wonder if there's casting calls for other HGTV shows, since we always talk about that, right? And so I stumbled upon one that Property Brothers is, why don't you like Property Brothers? um, Teeth are too big? No. I don't know. I I liked it at the very beginning, but then they started doing the second show. The buying and selling, and then brother versus brother, like, I don't know. And then they recorded that album, and it was all jump in the shark from there. Sure. (laughs) Well, I thought this was interesting because I have some clients who are actually moving to Nashville right now as we speak. So I'm like, oh, I should pass this along to them, right? Casting call for Nashville. They'd be great for it. Yes, they would. But it's like 11 pages of questions. And I thought it was really interesting. So to be eligible, you must be moving to Nashville 30 to 45 minutes, 40 minutes from downtown Nashville. Be buying and renovating a fixer-upper. Now, they're making all of this sound like you already have a house, which I guess we sort of suspected. I think the whole let's go look at three houses and you pick one kind of thing is probably a sham for the show. I think you already they already have one in mind. Again, be outgoing, energetic, opinionated, and fun. Um have a minimum reno and design budget of $70,000. Um, be able to make quick decisions in order to keep tight timelines. Be available for up to 10 days of filming staggered over six to seven weeks. And be enthusiastic about working with our experts who have the design and construction know-how to help create your dream home. So and it says the benefits of being on the show is a contribution towards your renovation. I don't know what that means. I don't either. Yeah. Um, And then you'll be given expert design advice and a completed renovation of three to four rooms in six to seven weeks. So then it gives you, lists all these questions, and I highlighted a few because I thought they were interesting. You have to have a sidekick. If you're not married. If you are not, if you are not part of a couple, 
the network requires a sidekick to Why? appear on camera for all shoot dates and then you have so you have to fill out all this information about your sidekick but i wonder why i don't i mean probably because at some point in the show it shows the two people discussing things and you can't really have a well, discussion with we yourself. Could, it could be like the you know keeping Thought up process? with yeah, it could be keeping up with Kardashians <laughs> where I, I'm right. just I'm in by myself. Room. Yes, I'm just saying what yeah. I think to so one of the questions of viewers. <laughs> tell us about you. What makes you and your sidekick memorable and unique? It's all starting to make me really feel uncomfortable. Um, your house budget has to be under nine hundred thousand. Your renovation budget is a uh, minimum of seventy. And then this says this is for four rooms to be featured, no basements, no two of the same room. So I guess you can't do two bedrooms. And it has to be, they get really specific here. It has to be kitchen or bathroom, but not kitchen and bathroom. And they pretty much always do kitchen. Yeah. I, I don't even see another reason why I'm not quite sure I like the show. I mean, at least on Fixer Upper, we know if you like all that stuff in there, you can buy yeah. it for extra. Right. But they're going to do right. the whole house. Well, here's the thing. If you want the real scoop on real estate, you've come to the right place. <laughs> we're, we're removing the veil. Yes. Um, they also ask how you're financing your renovation, which I thought was interesting. It's a drop-down box that you click on. So here are your okay. options. Cash, savings. I'm not sure what the difference is between cash and savings. Loan, gift, or other. Hmm, that doesn't tell us much. What is the urgency? Why do you desperately need the brothers' help? And, of course, they capitalize brothers. The brothers' help. Do they trademark it? Mm, not yet. Okay. On the way. Um, where will you be living during the renovation of the Fixer Upper? Because you cannot live there. Tell us about your family and I'd psych. i say in oh, a van down by, by the, the river. river. <laughs> this part is super uncomfortable. Tell us about you and your family, your sidekick's personality, character, and quirky qualities. And then in fine print it says, for example, are you jokers, daredevils? Do you love singing musical theater and tightrope walking? So bizarre. <laughs> I just kind of want to throw no. up a little bit. Tell us about your relationship dynamics. It's, differences, similarities, competitive, jokers, bickering, etc. You know, I feel like I should take this like study guide uh-huh. of questions here yeah. and watch an episode. And, and just, like fill it out. Yeah, and just see, okay, do these people, do they meet the grade here? Right. And then ask like your experience with house hunting and renovation and all that good stuff. So, And then you, there's a place to upload a ton of pictures. Hmm. Yeah. So it goes on and on and on. Anyways, I thought that was super interesting. I do know that the people that I know moving to Nashville would be really, really Good. They'd be cute on the show. They would be cute on the show, but I think her design ideas would be... Well, that's what maybe would make it interesting because she is an interior <laughs> designer and she's very talented. So she maybe would clash with them a little bit. I don't know. Anyways. Possibly. So that was the uh, latest and greatest um, um, HGTV news that we always like to give an update. We are going to talk today. I'm calling this show the Don't Be a Jackass show. Okay. Are you down with that? I am down with it. So we're going to drink every time I say the word jackass. How's that? Okay. Okay, because that seems to be the theme. Someone's going to cry. Someone's going to be disappointed. Someone's going to need a, to place blame. And someone's going to feel victorious. And, and everyone's going to feel anxious. You know what I'm talking about? No, I'm it's, on the edge of my seat. It's multiple offer time. <laughs> I love it. Usually something that we deal with in the spring or in the summer when things are really busy. It's October. Almost November. What the heck is going on? I have dealt with three multiple offers in the past week. 
Um, and so I'm one on the listing side, one on the buying side, and then one that we're negotiating right now. Um, so it's a good time to talk about it and understand what that process uh, involves on the seller side and on the buyer side. Um, so we're going to go over all of that. Uh, sometimes a house goes on the market and it's priced really well. Uh, that was kind of my listing last week. It's a gorgeous house. house is beautiful. This is the interior designer, so gorgeous. And got multiple offers right away. That's to be expected. Sometimes, though, a house can be on the market for a while, like this one that I'm doing right now. It's been on the market for a month or two, I think. Uh, And it's that stinking law of attraction that we always talk about Mm -hmm. that you start. And I tell my clients this and they look at me like I'm crazy, but I swear it's true. I've been doing this for 10 years. You start loving on a house and then the universe feels good about it. And all of a sudden it's looking better to a lot more people. I don't know what it is. Uh, And so then you get into multiple offers when you weren't even expecting it. You think you have a little bit of time. That's kind of what happened with my clients that we looked at a house on Friday, thought, eh, you know, he needed to talk to some family members. Um, And so, you know, we'll figure out what's going on Monday. And then the agent's like, well, we've got another offer on the table. I'm like, I think if it's been on the market for two months, can I not have two more days? Uh, So we had to kind of jump in and speed everything along a little bit. So what happens when there are two or more offers? Like I said, we're going to talk about the seller's perspective and how, as a seller, you can make sure you don't leave any money on the table, as we like to say. And from a buyer's perspective, how you can make sure that you have the most appealing offer possible. So let's go ahead and go to break. And when we come back, we're going to jump right into that because there's a lot uh, to cover. You're listening to Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you interested in buying or selling a home? Not sure what the next step is? Deb can help. Go to realrealestatetoday.com and click on Start Here. You'll be asked a few simple questions and Deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors. So even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit realrealestatetoday.com. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. You've heard of good things coming in packages. Well, maybe there's a little more to that saying. But when you think about it, packaging is one of the most important things that can represent your business. Tune into Ditch the Box with host David Marinak. Each week, we'll discuss flexible packaging, marketing, sales, and how it all comes together in one container. Lower costs, increased margins. Listen to the show. It might just save you a ton. Ditch the Box is heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. That's Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. Now, back to this week's program. All right, welcome back to the show. I'm calling Don't Be a Jackass. Karen Drink, thank you. Although it's clear... as I was over break thinking about it, I thought, I didn't really make it clear why I'm calling this show Don't Be a Jackass. No, you wanted to keep people on the edge of their well, seat. Well, okay, so I need to, okay, let me try and make this connection here. I'm not sure that I can, but um, in my mind, it all makes perfect sense. And that is that multiple offers are frustrating. Um, and that on both sides of the deal, my best advice to you is to not be a jackass. Mm-hmm. If you want this house, if you're a buyer and you want this house, don't be a jackass. And if does that make sense? Is that, that the best advice in the world? I think it's pretty good advice. And if you're a seller, don't be a jackass. And you're going to go into examples as to I don't what. know. Do we need examples? Can we just leave it at that and call it a day? I don't know because um, people who are like true jackasses don't even realize mm, that they are. You okay. see what I mean? Yeah. They're oblivious to it. Okay. So we're going to educate the world on how to point out jackasses to jackasses. Okay. Oh, we're going to be drunk by the end of it though because we're saying jackass so much. Or canoes. Uh, We'll have to explain that at some point. Okay, so let's start with sellers. All right, so we're going to talk about the selling side for a little bit. So maybe you've been negotiating for a few days or uh, like, you know, like this one deal I'm in the middle of right now. They got an offer on Friday. They've been negotiating for five days. They still don't have an agreement. And all of a sudden, a second offer comes in. Woohoo! It's exciting, right? Or maybe you got an offer and then your realtor's gone back to the other people who've expressed interest and said, hey, we have an offer on the table. Do you want to get in? Because that happens a lot, too. If you have a good listing agent, they're keeping track of who has some interest and who doesn't. And they're trying to drum up multiple offers because usually it drives the price up. And that's good for sellers because that's what the listing agent's job is, to get the seller the most amount they can. So now what do you do? You have a couple of options. You can accept one offer, reject the other. You can counter one of the offers. And you can reject the other. Or you can wait. Or you can ask for highest and best. Or you could reject both of them, but I don't think you'd want to do that. I don't think I'd do that. And so basically my point to this is that as a seller, there's a lot of things that you could do. There is a huge, huge misconception when it comes to multiple offers. I have I have a story to tell, but it's going to come across as kind of bitter because I'm still angry about it to this day, two years later. Um, there's a huge misconception that you have to ask for highest and best that you give everybody a chance to rewrite their offers and come up with their highest and best offer. But that's not in a rule book anywhere when you're going through like licensing and all of that. It is not in a rule book at all. And so here's what happened to me. This was December 23rd, 2014. So it's been almost two years, still bitter. Uh, And I listed this house. It had been on the market for a a year with another realtor and they just pulled it off and relisted it with me. Very nice guys. And we'd only had on the market a couple of of weeks and uh, we got an offer. It was not a good offer at all. Obviously they had seen that the home had been on the market for a long time and they really lowballed and came in about $40,000 below list price. There were some other issues with the offer too. Um, Meanwhile, the next, that same day that we got the offer, there was another showing with another agent. She calls me. She says, my clients really love the house. I said, great. We have an offer on the table, so you need to move. Christmas Eve, we get a full price offer from people number two. 
offer number one, again, 40 grand below list price. So we are way far apart on price here with these two offers. And offer number one was written in a way um, using FHA financing. Karen, you can help me explain this. (laughs) But there are limits on FHA financing, right? There are. I don't know what your price point was, but here in Indiana, yeah, there's a loan limit. It can't exceed $271,050. Uh-huh. And this offer was for two seventy five, and it was an FHA loan. Uh, I think, uh, no. Yeah. Sorry, I was sitting there doing real fast math because even if you put in your 3.5% minimum down, then you add back in the upfront funding fee. Yeah. Then you're back over. Yeah. Okay. So I was like, I'm not comfortable with this financing. Doesn't make sense to me either. Talk to my sellers. And here's what's really important to understand, especially if you're on the buyer side of it. Don't take it out on the realtors. It's the sellers. Ultimately, it's the seller's decision. My job is to lay out to the sellers what their options are. They said, it's Christmas Eve. We would like to have an accepted offer on our house for Christmas. We don't want to go to highest and best and wait for after Christmas when we know what we're going to end up with because we know that these two offers are too far apart. And the first offer has come back, you know, had said to us, well, you know, we think this needs to be replaced and, you know, sends us this laundry list of all the things that they think are wrong with the house. And that's why they're low offer. Offer number two was, we love your home. Here, we'll give you what you want. So does it make sense at that point to go back and ask for highest and best? No. 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 Does not. And it's Christmas Eve at it's this Christmas point. Christmas Eve. So we accepted offer number two, and we rejected very nicely offer number one. And then the realtor for offer number one uh, told her clients that I was violating Realtor Code of Ethics because I did not ask for highest and best. She didn't understand law. And then those buyers called my broker, and I got a call from my broker at 9 o'clock on Christmas morning. This is why I'm bitter. Christmas is literally the one day of the year that I don't deal with real estate. 364 days of the year, every other year. Christmas, I go, uh, no, nobody's doing, we're not doing real estate today. And the guy, and he forwarded me the voicemail from the the pissed off buyer who was threatening to uh, file a complaint with the attorney general. What the? And did you say, please go ahead? My broker was like, what the <laughs> heck? Go ahead, please. Crazy people. Yeah. So anyways, I mean, obviously nothing ever came from it because we followed every rule and every obligation. And they're, you know, they just, but I, I hear this all the time. Well, don't they have to ask for highest and best? No, they do not have to ask for highest and best. Okay. But a lot of times they do. Um, the situation I was in last week, we did ask for highest and best. The offers were super, super close. And so in that situation, for sure, if there's not a clear winner, you want to give everybody, you know, whenever I can, I'm going to ask for highest and best. I'm going to give everyone a, what's called a multiple offer notification. And it says, hey, we're going to formally notify you that we have multiple offers on the property. Everybody's going to sign it, which means if I'm signing it, I as a realtor, I'm signing this too. Which is, I'm not lying to you. I'm not trying to drive the price up and, and tell you we have another offer when we don't have another offer. There is another offer on the table. Um, and we're going to give everyone a chance to make a new offer with the same knowledge. Because what always kind of bothers me is that offer number two usually knows there's already an offer on the table. Mm-hmm. So they're making their offer with a different knowledge base than offer number one. So whenever it makes sense to level that playing field, I certainly want to do that. Um, 
again, you can also, if you have two offers and one is just a little bit better, you might decide just to counter on that one offer and try and work with that rather than going back to everyone. But I think whenever you can, you definitely want to go highest and best uh, and try and drive that price up. Um, so something else, though, I guess on the negative side to consider is that you might lose a buyer. Have you ever heard of anybody backing out because it was the highest and best? No, I haven't. Yeah, they do. There are people out there that is just not in their temperament to um, get into that kind of level of competition. They just don't. Mm, no, And they, they feel like they're going to end up overpaying. Maybe they don't trust themselves emotionally to, you know, handle it. Um, and so they uh, they just walk away. So there's that fear, too. Hopefully you can keep one on the hook and not lose both of them. No, I've never heard of that. But I would think as a as a buyer, I would I would at least give it one shot. Like I wouldn't just want to throw in the towel that quickly. Yeah. Like, okay, well, here's my highest and best. And maybe it's not that much more than what my initial offer right. was, but at least I or maybe it's the same as what you're in. It always amazes me, you know, I I, I always think when you go into multiple, multiple offer situation like that and you're the buyer that you're going to offer at least list price, if not more. But boy, there are people that don't mm-hmm. offer list price and then still get it and always amazes me. So, um, yeah, you have to kind of, I guess, do what's comfortable for you. But some people just don't love the house that much or just don't like that kind of pressure or competition. Um don't so here's my don't be a jackass when you're asking for highest and best in a multiple offer situation is the seller don't be a jackass give everyone adequate time but not too much time um you know usually what we do is we will send out multiple offer notifications so you have 24 hours to get us your highest and best offer that's fair that's enough time but it's not like oh you can have three or four days because that just makes the buyer feel like you're trying to round up more offers and drive up more competition and that's kind of being a jackass um if the home has been on um the market a little bit this is just me but i kind of give the first buyer in a little credit Like, well, they're the ones that started this whole thing. Mm -hmm. I give them a little bit of credit, you know. But uh, ultimately, it's the seller's decision, like we've we've said, and we're going to say over and over and over again. Um, It's stressful for the buyer. This is a continuation of don't be a jackass. This is stressful for the buyer. It's stressful for you, but it's stressful for the buyer. So respond as quickly as you can. I would say don't leave them hanging for any longer than you have to. So if you say, okay, we're going to give you till Thursday at 6 p.m. to get your multiple or get your highest and best offering, try to have a response that evening. Try not to. Make, I had, We were slow in responding last week in that situation. I felt so bad. It was first thing in the morning, like 9 o'clock in the morning when I was finally able to make notifications. And I just felt bad that uh, we weren't trying to be a jackass or my clients were in two different locations and we were having a hard time getting everybody together and discuss it. But um yeah, just kind of be sensitive to that. I think that's good karma for the the rest of the transaction. At least you were given enough time to tr- in that situation where both of your clients are in different locations, could be different time zones. And if you've yeah. only been given like a six-hour window yeah. or something unrealistic, right. then right. that makes it challenging. Yes, for sure. So can you disclose, as on the seller side, can you disclose what the other offers are? Because people, the buyers always ask, well, how much is the other offer? Because I'll just bid a dollar higher. If only it were that easy. But it is not that easy. So typically, no. I mean, the big thing is I don't think it's fair. I, I, I think 
from my perspective as the listing agent, when I'm in a multiple offer situation, I am super, super conscious, thank you to Mr. Christmas Morning and Attorney General Threats, to make sure that um, you know we are dotting every I and crossing every T and doing everything that is as fair as humanly possible, which is why, unless it's super obvious, you present me an offer with financing that can't go through. Um, you know, we're going to try and do multiple offers. We're going to give everybody a, f- a fair amount of time to review. We're not going to disclose things about one offer over the other offer. We're going to try and keep a real even playing field. But B, my job as the seller's realtor is to get the seller the most money possible. And so if I'm saying, well, this offer over here is 122 then the other people are going to pay 123 but what if they would have paid 125 right. if I hadn't said that? So I'm not doing my seller any service if I sort of start to put out information um, either that that's bad negotiating tactics. So I do think it's fair if the buyer's agent asks some preferences like, well, you know, when's their ideal closing date, things like that. I think that's fair if someone wants to ask that and answer that, but I don't typically want to talk about price because I don't think that that is necessarily fair. And then what do you do with the offers that get turned down? Um, we had this last week. We're asking if they want to be a backup offer because it's nice to have a, a backup offer in your pocket. And we can talk about how some of that stuff works. Um, I I did this uh, recently, like I said, last week and the other party was kind of upset and then they kind of came back and said, well, okay, we'll be the backup. It doesn't feel great to be second place like that, but um, that certainly is an option. So we're going to talk a little bit more about how to evaluate the offers and then from the buyer's perspective when we come back from break. So stick around. You're listening to Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. Streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voiceamerica.com are you interested in buying or selling a home not sure what the next step is deb can help go to real real and click on start here you'll be asked a few simple questions and deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors so even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit realrealestatetoday.com. Marijuana means different things to different people. To Eva Sativa, host of Everyday Cannabis, it means hope. Eva credits her life to cannabis, and today she's an advocate for patient rights, safe products, and community education. Each week, you'll learn about cannabis as a safe medicine and its role in cutting-edge research. We'll talk about legalization, bring you product reviews, and chat with the industry's best and brightest. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. 
VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at RealRealEstateToday.com. That's Deb at RealRealEstateToday.com. Now, back to this week's program. All right, we are talking today about how to not be a jackass. And specifically, you know, pretty much every show is how not to be a jackass, right? Yes, I'm right on top of that, Rose. Okay, that's a pretty lofty goal, um, like I should know, because I'm pretty good at how to be a jackass. But um, today we're talking specifically about multiple offer situations, what you should and shouldn't do, how you should, uh, what you should do as a seller to make sure you don't leave, leave any money on the table, what you should do as a buyer to make sure that you get the best deal possible and you get the home. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about evaluating offers, but I also think this is going to roll over into a future, maybe next week, um, episode where we're going to talk about all the different things that can be negotiated uh, in an offer because it's a lot more than price. Um, And that is sort of what goes on here in the multiple offers is that we're looking at offers, not just the price, but there are other things that a seller should evaluate. But this section really goes for sellers and buyers. And this is going to go in my order of kind of importance the way that I look at things. So the first one obviously is price, duh, you know, but keep in mind appraisal. So I've been in some multiple offer situations and someone's willing to pay for whatever reason it's the right property. They see the value there. They're willing to pay way over list price. But is the house going to appraise? And what happens if the house doesn't appraise, Karen? They either need to bring that difference to closing or go back and renegotiate the price. Yeah, and most people don't have that. And there are some loans, too, where you can't buy it at all, right? Like with an FHA loan, is that true? I've not come across that. Okay. I mean, if the appraisal comes in less, it's always given back and say, we can do the loan, but now this is the okay, cap. You have to bring more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if it appraises for $5,000 less than cash, uh, than the purchase price, agreed upon purchase price, then you would have to bring an additional $5,000 to closing. Right. Which most buyers don't have. And there is, a, in our state contracts, in the Indiana state contracts, there's a standard clause in there that says if the property doesn't appraise, Correct. That the buyer doesn't have to buy it. So, um, but that is something uh, to consider. Um, and you know, cash buyers don't have to have appraisals, so that certainly can sometimes um, be a benefit there if you feel like you're pushing it on the the price aspect of things. Um, if you have uh, closing cost assistance, that's fine, but make sure that you build that into the seller's bottom line. So, if you want to offer list price, but you need three thousand dollars in closing cost assistance. Probably needs to be list price plus three thousand to right. you know to come across come out as a um, list price offer to the seller. Most sellers have you ever run into a seller that says no to closing costs assistance? Um, the only time that that has happened, it was a for sale by owner. Oh, and did they explain why? Or um, I did not ask because this was like last week when we were talking about it. But the buyers um, had already talked to the mm-hmm. sellers. And that they wouldn't pay for the buyer's representation. Yeah. So they were all trying to do this on, on their, their own. own. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've only ever run into it once and it was just like sort of a stubborn old guy. <laughs> He's like, nope. And he lost, I think, three or four offers. 
um, from people that were offering decent, you know, above list price. They were trying to add the closing cost assistance back into it, and he still refused to do it. That's interesting. I, question, I wonder what he ended up selling that house for. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look, but I, I question, too, how it was being explained to him. Oh, you know? it wasn't a FISBO. No, oh. he had an agent. And you see, so you just kind of wonder. It's like, well, just show him the bottom line. It doesn't really... Yeah, I don't know. There was a principal thing there that I wasn't getting. But anyways. Um, okay, so number two. So first thing I would look at is the price. And then number two would be financing. Um, I think that, Karen, tell me if you agree with this. There's sort of an order of strength in financing. Do you not want to talk about that? I'm not going to talk about okay, that. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I would say, obviously, cash is typically a stronger... Cash is king. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But that, that is the true Do statement. you have proof of funds? Do we know that these people have cash? Anybody can say they have cash. You can write down a piece of paper that you have cash. But, you know, is there proof of funds that accompany the offer so that you know for sure? Um, and then, you know, conventional government back, there's, there's some loans that have stricter guidelines in terms of the condition of the property. So those are all sort of things that we um, want to take into consideration. Um Here's an example, though. I had an interesting deal earlier this year, uh, last spring, and it was we kind of purposely priced the house a little bit low. It was an estate deal, and I knew it was going to sell pretty quickly because it was in a great area, great neighborhood, but it was dated, and it was an estate. They just needed to kind of be done with it, and so we priced it low, and what we did was we said, okay, we listed it on Monday and said everybody has till Thursday at 6 o'clock to send any offers to us. That's when we're going to review offers. Thursday, 6 o'clock. I remember you doing this. I thought it was brilliant. But anyways, <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was a pretty good idea. It's not something I would do all the time. I think it was a special property and it made sense um, to do in this situation. We ended up with seven offers. One of them was cash. So slam dunk, right? You take the cash offer. Only if you have proof of funds. Well, right. and that wasn't even the case in this okay. situation. Here's what happened. Uh, we didn't take that offer. Uh, as the primary, and we didn't take it as the backup. Interesting. We didn't take it at all. Um, you know why? The guy I, was being a jackass. <laughs> I swear. Um, Wait, the actual buyer or the buyer's realtor? I don't know. Okay. Who knows where it's coming from? I can tell you off air. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, we had said very clearly in the listing you know, it was a crazy time of year. I believe my listing actually said, don't skip your kid's soccer game or miss dinner with the family to show this house you have until Thursday at six. We were doing it partly out of consideration for realtors because we knew that there would be, you know, a mass hysteria kind of, not mass hysteria, but it was going to be, you know, really popular. And partly because we wanted an opportunity to, you know, get as many offers as possible. Um, they, this cash buyer wrote an offer on Monday and gave us till Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. to respond. And we said, no, we were clear Thursday at 6. Right. And they said, but it's cash. I said, we were clear Thursday at 6. And then um, they came back, and they gave us another offer, and they made it expire Thursday at 6, which is when we were going to start looking at offers was Thursday at 6. And so we said, no. Because that's when we started looking at offers Thursday at 6. And I think they eventually did. But by that time, my seller was kind of sick of them. They were just like, you know, if you can't respect what, you know, the sort of plain rules that I've set out. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like they were real jerky plain rules. I mean, that wasn't 
t- you no, know. but you have advertised the sale of that home in that manner. Yeah, and then we made what it pretty if, clear. What if I was the next buyer, and then I found out that that's what you've done? Right. I'd be calling you on Christmas Eve. Right. And saying, I'm going to report you to the attorney general. <laughs> yes. for, yeah, exactly. So, anyways, um, so we're going to talk more about that story too because I learned a lot from that. It was uh, interesting uh, how that whole thing went down. Um, Let's talk pre-approval versus pre-qualification. Can you speak to that at all? Sure. Um, So that's another thing. So if it's cash, you want proof of funds. If it's a loan, you certainly want some sort of letter from a lender. Right. Yeah. You want want something from a lender. It does show in good faith that this person has taken the time, whether it's been behind a computer or on the phone or in person, to meet with a lender, get credit pulled. At a minimum, whether it's a pre-approval or a pre-qualification, at a minimum, credit is pulled. Um, Certain places, will uh, the definitions are different, but one versus the other, um, one, you're looking at income, you're looking at pay stubs. Some may even go through an initial underwrite, you know, goes Mm -hmm. to the underwriter and they review everything. Mm -hmm. But uh, you'll know in your town just by reputation, word of mouth, like who, which lenders... uh, the letters that you do have from what lenders are pretty pretty solid. Yep, and that um, that was has been big a big factor in some of the multiple offer situations that I've been in, where I've had almost the exact same offers side by side. Everything's the same except one is a local lender, and one is an out of town eight hundred number kind of thing that we've never seen a face of. And typically, we're going to go with the local lenders. Um, it's just easier to know that you've got a door you can walk into and scream at someone if you have to. That is true. I guess that's maybe not a good reason, but that's sort of my reason. No, but it is definitely easier to walk into one of our offices to say, hey, I have a question. I need your help or whatever. Right. Versus going through a menu on a phone and yes. getting disconnected and getting yep. frustrated. And talking to a different person every time you call in yes. about the loan, for sure. Um, so that's certainly a function. So price, financing, closing dates, and possession. You want something that works for you. I typically write an offer when I'm in a multiple offer situation that sort of mirrors whatever the norm is. 30 days to close a loan kind of thing. 30 to 40 days. Um, possession, you know, a week or so after closing sometimes to be nice and not be a jackass um, but I also like I said before try to have a conversation with the buyer's agent or with the listing agent what, what's ideal you know are they waiting for school to finish if your buyer can be super flexible that can be worth several thousand dollars in negotiations if you can say you know what I can close and give you wait two months to have possession I've seen things like that and it really helps win out so those are things to look at too uh, inspections I certainly do not ever recommend waiving inspections. I just don't think it's a good idea. However, I have from time to time written a clause that sort of indicates, I call it my nickel and dime clause, basically saying we're not going to nickel and dime you on inspections, that we're only going to be looking for major things uh, and that um, you know we'll only be asking if there's something that's deemed a major defect. So we're not going to be asking for holes in window screens to be fixed and um you know, slow drains or something like that, that that are pretty easy fixes. And that can be very appealing to a seller to know that um, you're going into the inspection process being realistic on that. Um, I also think that um, being aggressive with your timeline for inspections is a great way to uh, tighten up your offer. 
somebody who says, well, I want 20 days to do inspections versus somebody who says they want 10 days to do inspections. The 10 days is going to just get you through the process quicker and get things moving quicker. And if the deal falls apart, it gets you back on the market quicker if that's um, the necessity as well. Something to think about in terms of inspections is, and I, I ran into this several times this year, is that with these multiple offers, there end up being backup offers. And when there's a backup offer, um, sometimes the seller's not very willing to do much in terms of inspection because the backup offer might even be higher than yours. I had a couple clients this year that ended up, they got their offer accepted and then somebody came in too late to the game. And so they ended up being a backup offer and it was significantly higher than the offer that my client had. So when we go to negotiate for inspections, the seller's like, yeah, I don't really care. No, I'm not going to do those things because they kind of want to kill the deal. But they can't unless it, you know, for contractual purposes. Um, they can't, the seller at that point can't walk away. But they can say, no, we won't do those repairs. And then the buyer decides to walk away and then they can go with offer number two. Which may have a home inspection and they're right back at the drawing board again. Right. But but just, if that offers $10,000 higher, then the seller thinks, I got some money to play with to make repairs now. Sure. So it That's comes out true. ahead, yeah. Um, earnest money is another thing. Um, there's a great story about the, a bank-owned property that got a bunch of offers on it. I love this story. They got a bunch of offers. The agent was submitting all of these offers. You have to submit them online. By the time he had like 10 of them, he had to submit. He entered the third one, and the bank called and said, we're good, we're going to take that third one. He's like, no, I have to present all these offers to you. And they said, that's fine, you can input them, we're taking this third offer. The reason they took the third offer was that it was a cash offer. The earnest money was the entire purchase price minus a dollar. The earnest money? Uh-huh. The earnest oh money gosh. was the entire purchase price minus a dollar. And to the <laughs> bank, for this bank-owned property, that was king to them. Good earnest money is the world to some, some especially banks. Um, that makes a big, big difference. It shows that you're serious. It shows you have the financial wherewithal to get a loan, to come up with the down payment money, um, you know, that you're putting your money where your mouth is kind of thing. So um, that certainly is something as well. We're going to take a break and talk about the infamous, do I write a letter? Oh, yeah. You were kind of talking about that last week. Yeah, do we write a letter? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk a little bit more about from the buyer's perspective as well. So stick around. You're listening to Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Are you interested in buying or selling a home? Not sure what the next step is? Deb can help. Go to realrealestatetoday.com and click on Start Here. You'll be asked a few simple questions and Deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors. So even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit realrealestatetoday.com. Hoarding has become a tremendous issue worldwide, not just for those who hoard, but for the people who love and care about them. On Take Back Your Life, when your things are taking over, host Elaine Birchall helps you to understand and get unstuck from the clutter in your life, no matter how severe. Our program brings you practical strategies to help you get started and maintain your goals. Listen live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Why do some people seemingly make the same mistakes when it comes to love and relationships? What is the best way to find love? Make a visit each week to Destination Love. Host Shelley Pumphrey will bring what you need to know to find love. No, it's not about the next fad, dating site tips, scoring the first date, or looking your best. Rather, it's empowerment, knowing that your authentic self works best and the science behind finding love. Destination Love is live Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. That's Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. Now, back to this week's program. All right. We are back talking about multiple offers, how to not be a jackass from the seller's perspective and the buyer's perspective, increase the chances that you get what you want. So one of the things we get asked um, a lot is, should I write a letter? If I'm the buyer and I want a house, I see all these articles saying I should write a letter pleading my case. See, I bought a house before the internet. I didn't even know people were writing letters when they wanted to buy. I've had it happen a few times. Um, and I have a little bit mixed emotions. And I was I was talking with a colleague last week, and she was sharing with me a letter that her client had, had written and wanted to present with an offer. And I thought, you know, some of the things in there were good. They were talking about, like, the piano and where they were going to put the piano and their daughter to take piano lessons. And that tugs on the heartstrings. That's great. Emotions, all that good stuff. But then they were also like, we're going to remodel your kitchen, and we're going to remodel this, and we're going to – and this is why our price is so low is because of all this – you know what I'm saying? And it just was like, ooh. Ouch. Don't know if that would go over well. Um, I'm a big fan of trying to at least at minimum put a face on my offer. So what I typically do is when I present the offer to the listing agent, I'll say something like, this is a really nice couple. They have a two-year-old daughter and another one on the way. And they work at the university and she teaches yoga or whatever, <laughs> you know, because it just humanizes it a little bit. But I found this article that I wanted to read because it really opens up a whole other perspective that I think is really important for people to look at. So this is actually from Realtor Magazine and it's written for realtors um, and it's written by a realtor, an attorney and a broker. And she says, I had clients who once, buyer clients who once insisted on writing a letter to the seller and making the case for why their offer should be accepted. They went the personal emotional route, explaining that they were meant to own this home because it hmm, had the same colors that they had in their wedding. Collective gag. Uh, The offer itself was strong and met the asking price plus some closing costs. So I can't say whether the letter made a difference when the seller finally accepted their offer, but it certainly made a difference down the road when it came time to negotiate on inspections and the seller refused to budge. When issues arose after inspection, the seller was none too willing to negotiate knowing how much my buyers wanted this house. Because of my buyer's disclosure of emotional attachment to the property in their letter, it put them in a weaker negotiating position. Uh, And the seller was able to take advantage of that. 
So it's common advice during inventory crunches like the one that the market is experiencing now that buyers write personal letters to sellers to stand out and increase the chances of having their offer accepted, but very few recognize the downside to buyers' letters, disclosing information that sellers can use against buyers at the negotiating table. Yeah. Who'd have thought? Who would have thought? Right? Uh, There's no question that the decision to buy and sell a house is an emotional one, and we know that emotions cloud judgment. But sellers are concerned mostly with their bottom line. At the end of the day, I had a client say to me once, he said, well, you know, I'd love for this nice family who wrote the letter to get the home, but at the end of the day, I have to look out for my family, which means I need to get every penny out of this house I can because I'm moving to a more expensive market. So something to think about. And then there was an additional point which plays into the past couple of weeks. We've been talking about the Fair Housing Act Mm -hmm. uh, and how you can't discriminate and you shouldn't discriminate against certain protected classes. Um, But this person, because she's an attorney, is also suggesting that buyer's letters can pose problems with the Fair Housing Act, which makes it illegal to refuse to sell or rent to a prospective tenant based on their race, religion, color, sex, national origin, family status, or disability. Consider this example, a letter from a married couple mentioning that their kids really love the house, which is close to their church. You got religion, you got family. And say that letter moves the seller to reject a higher offer from an unmarried buyer of a different religion, this could turn into a legal problem. Mm-hmm. So uh, from the seller side of things, it's a little bit uh, scary to think about as well. So I thought that was eye-opening. Um, you know, I'm not opposed to it, but honestly, at the end of the day, it's what's going to work for the seller's family. Um, you know, I had one instance where I think people were swayed the house wasn't even on the market. It was like they had lived in it for 50 years and the woman was having a really hard time. She was in assisted living. She raised her kids there, was having a really hard time just making the decision to sell. Mm. It wasn't even listed. And we wanted to persuade, persuade them to sell and to sell to us because it was a neighborhood where there were no homes for sale. And in that case, I did send some pictures of the children. <laughs> My clients had these really cute kids. And I was like, maybe it'll help her start to envision. Like, it was almost like the seller needed to be able to envision another family there. But when you, but when you say write a letter, I'm thinking, I'm thinking old-fashioned handwriting. Yeah. Yes. And Not then the realtor just, takes a picture of it and sends it to you via text. That's what I got last week. No, I would It was have, handwritten, but I would have handwritten it and given it to my agent yeah. to you know, people don't do that anymore. Yeah. And it can. But I don't know that it's the end all be all. I think having a stronger offer is probably going to sure. get you um at the end of end of the game a lot further. I also want to talk briefly about the escalation clause because that's something that I don't know if you've ever seen around here. It's really not done in this market very much. I don't know why. It just isn't something that's done. I think there are other markets that do it a lot. So do you know what it is? No. Okay. So basically, it's saying it's a clause that you would put into your offer to purchase as the buyer. This is, I will pay, for example, $250 more than the highest offer you get up to a certain amount. So say you make an offer for $210. And you say, but... I will pay $250 more than the highest offer up to $225,000. So I feel like that is sending mixed signals to the to the seller. Yeah. It's kind of like I want the best deal I can get, but I'm willing to go up to this amount. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Like I could weird. offer you yeah. this dollar amount, but I'm really right. not going to. Right. And maybe that's why we don't do it here in the Midwest. I don't know. Because <laughs> we're kind of, you know, overly nice sometimes. <laughs> but it, it can be uh, an option. Uh, we actually have formal paperwork even to do it. Uh, one of the big things in it is that you have to specify in the documentation that you would require a copy of the offer that you beat out. Um, so, you know, they don't just, and it has to be a legitimate offer with legitimate financing and all that good stuff. You can't just, the other agent can't just like make up an offer. Okay. Well, that's Be good. like, hey, I'm going to have my husband write up an offer. And then, you know, you make an offer higher and that has to be legitimate. But an escalation clause might be something. It does feel a little bit like auctioning. I remember years ago, I was representing a friend who was buying a house at an auction. It was an actual auction. And he was there and he kind of get into that excitement about bidding and he kept bidding up. And I'm like, Dan, 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 take a breath. Stop, <laughs> stop. And then he won the house. And then he's like, will you call my wife? I'm like, no. No, <laughs> I don't think so. No, but. good luck with that. Uh, so, um, but the escalation clause can certainly be an, a, a, an option. So here's what I'm going to leave you with today. Uh, I, I told Karen, this is what I wrote over the... Uh, this morning when I was putting this show together um, because I prepare ahead that much. Um, The best scenario as a buyer if you want to avoid a multiple offer situation is if you like it, put a ring on it. (laughs) My little Beyonce. If you like the house, don't wait. Put an offer together. Put an offer. I did it this weekend. We were going to put an offer together that was a little bit low and then we got some feedback that there were a lot of showings this weekend. I said, screw it. We're going to put a good offer together that the seller is going to accept outright and be done with it and not let anybody else get in the door and drive the price up. And that's what happened. We were able to get an accepted offer. So um, that was pretty exciting. So that is the best way to do it. Um, I think that we are going to talk a little bit more next week about um, the um, off the actual offer and all the ins and outs of things that you can negotiate. Again, like I said, it's not just about price. We talked about some of that today. So um, stick around uh, next week. Listen in and uh, watch the Cubs tonight. Yes, go Cubs. <laughs> exactly. Thanks for tuning in to another great episode. Check us out on Facebook and uh, download on iTunes. You can listen to all the past episodes, including my uh, epic condo episode, which apparently is the most popular thing out there. So thanks for tuning in. This was Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Real Real Estate Today. Please join your host, Deb, tomorrow for another edition every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until next week, take care of your home. It's one of your most important assets. 